and the christmas woods being the introductory essay of a series on observations of nature through the year by adeline knapp this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. rain up the mountain along the serried slopes a white shape creeps through oak-fringed canyon ways and up the steeps a mystery of silence shrouding deeps like spirit touching earth while nature sleeps it stirs beneath the laurels stirs within the redwood circling shade and light and thin where the brown towie builds and spider spin shuts the twist manzanitas tangle in with swaying tops and quivering leaves a dart held for a while within the mist-white heart like shadowy travellers ready to depart tall wavering shapes of eucalyptus start from far below where level spreads the plain travelling with jewelled feet the hastening grain touching the slumbering hills to life again marching along the summits comes the rain of beauty we ought to observe that even the things that follow after the things which are produced according to nature contain something pleasing and attractive the ears of corn bending down and the lion's eyebrows and the foam which flows from the mouth of wild boars and many other things though they are far from being beautiful if a man should examine them severally still because they are consequent upon the things which are formed by nature help to adorn them and they please the mind so that if a man should have a feeling and deeper insight with respect to the things which are produced in the universe there is hardly one of those which follow by way of consequence which will not seem to him to be in a manner disposed so as to give pleasure and in an old woman and an old man he will be able to see a certain maturity and comeliness and the attractive beauty of young persons he will be able to look upon with chaste eyes who has become truly familiar with nature and her works marcus aurelius antonius in the christmas woods when nature decides that her christmas gift to us shall be a rainstorm she does not send any niggardly shower it is raining in earnest not the swift drenching downpour of earlier winter that washes the earth of its summer garb of dust nor the small rain upon the tender grass of springtime but a steady penetrating descent of water from a leaden gray sky with a wind in the south it is good for all day my farmer neighbor cocks a shrewd eye skywards and says it is raining twenty-dollar gold pieces and he ought to know from my window i watch the beneficent downpour and think of the white feathery snowflakes that in my eastern home always made christmas day seem to me so much more the orthodox festival than rain can possibly do yet it may have rained on that first christmas day when hope was born into the world it could not have been snowing nor could the rainstorm if there was one have been more inviting than this one seems the drops chasing one another down the outside of the pane strike the glass with a little musical tinkle that summons me abroad it may not be prudent to venture but it is a good thing at times not to be wise enough to keep indoors when it rains and i find myself longing to go forth and take my share of nature's beautiful christmas gift a happy thought that i'm quick to act upon it and soon go tramping through the rain eager to learn how my friends of wood and canyon are enjoying their white christmas the birds i find have fled to the thickest shelter they can find 
the redwoods in the canyon. They have no pockets, and no use even for aqueous twenty-dollar pieces, so they summon what philosophy they can to tide them over the storm. Swinging down a slippery trail, I catch an overhanging bough to save myself from a fall, and I incidentally disturb a feathered congregation that has taken refuge in this particular tree. I shake the branch, and the birds rush out. The rain is sheeting down from the strip of sky just visible between the towering hills, and the startled flock fly heavily, with many a chirping protest, to another tree where they perch and huddle again. A solitary brown towhee, sleek and trim, is pecking about in the soft leaf mold, with the air of mackintoshed and overshoot comfort that this bird always wears in a storm. The little creature has somehow learned the secret of unfailing contentment. He reminds me, when I see him under adverse circumstances, of that other object lesson in cheerfulness, the wee pimpernel, sunny-faced anagales, growing so bravely about the hills. In very early springtime, when everything is green and lusty after the winter rains, the pimpernel holds up its head for its share of the good things of plant life everywhere abounding. But when the other flowers and weeds have had their day, when even the burr clover has ripened and fallen on the dry hilltops in the bare meadows, where the burnt earth shows great cracks made by the hot sun, the pimpernel still blossoms cheerily, a picture of humble happiness. The brown towhee is the plainest of our birds. He is not graceful. He cannot sing. He has only the charm of brisk cheeriness, unfailing, gentle acceptance of sunshine or cloud, as each comes to recommend him to us. But he is always a welcome sight about garden or hedge. I am interested to note the effects of the storm in the canyon. Here flows a swift, deep stream, always cold and usually clear. Evidently the wind has been at work, for across the creek its spreading arms lifted as in appeal against its fate, a great alder lies, broken square off some six feet from its base. As I approach I hear the sharp tap-tap of a woodpecker's horny axe, and see the bird fly away. A good carpenter, he, by his chips, he has thrown down a considerable pile of clean-cut bits of the hard yellow wood. They look as though they had been cut by a tiny broad-axe. Crawling under the fallen tree, I advance along the bank, but soon find my progress barred by a landslide. The softened earth above has given way. To slip down into the deep cut, nothing but bedrock is left, and the bare gray bones of the mountain glisten, wet with the driving rain. The sight awakens both awe and pity. I'm glad to see how the mosses are hastening to clothe the rocks again. Tiny spikes of the horsetail are already growing where, I am sure, horsetail has not grown for generations. I climb on through the exposed roots of an immense redwood stump, a relic of the forest primeval, driving a wood rat scampering from his haunts as I do so, and come out on a slope of soft leaf mold. Here the broad green leaves of the trillium are already above ground, the buds beginning to show a small green spike. The Solomon seal is peeping up to give Christmas greeting, but everything is wet. The trillium lies prostrate, its leaves on the ground. Blackberry, huckleberry, and wild currant are soaked and windblown. The redwoods droop and drip, with here and there a branch broken by its own wet weight. Nevertheless, the scene is not cheerless. There is so much of hope in the quiescent greenery and the fresh wet scent of the earth is full of promise. It is surprising how much rain finds its way into the canyon. 
it might be supposed that such a narrow cleft between two lines of high hills would escape notice but the water pours in from above it sweeps through on the searching wind it flows down the wooded banks from the hilltops and the little stream becomes a river the rain whips and patters and plays musically among the trees and roars along with the creek until everything is wetter than the proverbial drowned rat but it does not make mud puddles it does not bring the same dirt and discomfort in its wake that it does where man makes his abode the soft fragrant brown mold receives it gladly the mosses soak it up the trees catch it in their outstretched hands and turn it gently down upon their own thirsty roots the broad-leaved plants lie down before it and arise refreshed when it has passed it comes the rain from heaven as cleanser and life-giver and even i soaked by its downpour bewildered by the rush and sweep of wind and storm touched by a little mortal fear at the strangeness of it all am the better for such a wedding let but a single sunbeam sift through the branches and the woods will smile like a happy child after its bath scrambling up the side of a moss-grown rock i come face to face on the top with a huge snail to my great surprise i get a glimpse of a queer dog-like visage with snub nose and bright eyes then the creature pulls its soft shelly hood down over its head and i can see only its round resolute-looking shoulders i poke it in the back but it only hunches itself together and rolls over i cannot get another peep at its head that passing glimpse of the sturdy bulldog face however helps me understand the persistence with which once they are started these creatures travel forward one crossing my dooryard not long ago found his way barred by the house nothing daunted he mounted the steps traversed the platform and started upward he left a long silvery trail on the screen door and gained the wall i watched him crawl past the eaves to the roof and i have no doubt but that in the course of time he came down on the other side another of the same tribe i once found halted at the edge of a stream a few feet wide i pushed him out on a chip and ferried him over whereupon he started up the bank without a backward glance at me who had so opportunely played providence for him the rain must have slackened somewhat up above there is less beating in but the creek still roars turbulently i have reached in my clamouring progress a place where the water tosses itself joyfully over a great rock to fall into a deep wide pool so dark and so still that even the tumult of the storm seems hardly to have reached it it is dim and green and quiet here for the sunlight never penetrates to this spot the tops of the hills seem almost to meet two hundred feet above our heads and the redwood growth is dense the air is heavy with damp woodsy fragrance and the water is almost black we talk of mother earth but we might with even more truth speak of mother water for every evidence to-day is that the first life appeared not from the soil but nurtured at the broad breast of mother sea even ere land had pushed its way up from ocean's depths the green scum on the surface of still pools the slime moulds covering moist bottoms furnish us with some indication of what this primordial vegetation was like but by what long process of evolution has come from that common ancestor the miniature forests of the mosses on yonder rocks the ferns clothing the banks the wild begonia here at my feet the osiers yonder in the stream the towering redwoods themselves who can tell the story is our story 
only here and there however are we able to read a line a paragraph never a full page of the wonderful tale but if it not be true that the same life which is in us is also in kind throughout all nature then i see no reason why human beings should take any interest in nature or feel any sympathy with her processes but the very possibility of our taking interest in the life of nature of our feeling true sympathy with it is evidence of our unity with the least of her creatures we may not wrest from nature all her secrets but we cannot go to her in simplicity of spirit and come away empty-hearted that which baffles us but increases our love for something of her teaching lies hidden even in the mystery the same love that brought the christ child to earth is in the woods to-day informing it with beneficent purpose for our strengthening and teaching a very wise man once told me that all life comes from protoplasm and that if we but knew the conditions we could make the protoplasm not a bad idea that but if some day we should stumble upon the conditions make the protoplasm set it a-going and exploit it in the newspapers we may be sure that there would come a day when the wonder would again be beyond our comprehension life itself is a greater mystery than its causation if we could understand even such a comparatively small matter as a bird's way of looking at life how much of a marvel would clear itself in our minds we cannot understand even that however we can only after all love and reverence the things of nature as they seem to us good and helpful and come into the use through recognition of the beauty they are facts as we ourselves are facts and in reality we understand them about equally well as we understand our own hearts and lives a wee hummingbird flew about my head yesterday poised on swift wings directly before my face and i looked into its bright fearless eyes i do not know what he thought of me but neither do i know really what i thought of him our lives touched for the brief instant of that glance and through him came to me a thought of human love i was better for the encounter and i do not think that he was worse here where the earth has slid away from the roots of a great redwood stump i found a long creeping rootstock of the solomon seal with no less than ten round seal-like impressions left by past shoots at some time in its growth the plant encountered an obstacle in the shape of a strong outstretching arm of redwood root the tender growth striking against this from beneath was turned backwards and downwards until feeling its way cautiously in the dark it travelled around the big root and striking upwards sent out a joyful shoot to greet the sun how long it must have taken the rootstock to do this we cannot surmise but i suppose that could we watch these underground happenings we should find this sort of thing occurring frequently we should not however be likely to discover the real secret of the plant's growth its branchlets toward the sun its roots downward in search of water we only know that neither root nor flower has any choice but to turn toward that which is its good the necessity to growth of obedience to the laws of good is everywhere the most inexorable of nature's teachings the plants guided by instinct make no mistake in following the good higher in the scale where a measure of reason is added to instinct as in the case of the birds we find the possibility of error appearing and mistakes in judgment are not infrequent among these only in man however do we find the power to retrieve mistakes consciously and voluntarily to retrace the wrong course and begin anew and only with man does the perilous power exist to choose between following the good and turning from it 
The rain has fairly ceased now. The birds have begun to stir among the trees, hopping from branch to branch, shaking themselves and ruffling out their wet feathers. They keep up a sort of indefinite chatter among themselves the while, commenting, it may be, on the probable good that will accrue from the generous Christmas wedding. Coming up the trail toward daylight, for it has grown dark in the canyon, I meet a flock of quail, beautiful creatures, that survey me fearlessly as I pass. I hope no Christmas pot-hunter will find them and carry them home, a trophy of his day's sport. How any human being who has ever seen a flock of quail in all their living alert beauty can take pleasure in picking the poor little bones of the slaughtered birds is another of the mysterious things of life. I came some time ago with a party of trampers to an open space amid the chaparral on the crest of a chain of hills. Suddenly the leader of our group motioned silence and stood, with parted lips and smiling, delighted eyes, gazing at a flock of quail quietly making their way through the grass, with glossy feathers stirring in the breeze and crested heads held fearlessly high. "'Did you ever see anything more beautiful?' whispered their discoverer. But the nimrod of the party wrung his weaponless hands and wailed, "'What a shot! Oh, what a shot!' Verily, that first man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. End of In the Christmas Woods by Adeline Knapp